1: America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR ER Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz.
2: Good morning, everybody. Um, I realize that you're all used to me talking about branding of all sorts and news events of all kinds. So today, we're going to talk about something that is in the news, although it could be a little scary. And that is addressing the question, could germ warfare and medical experimentation happen again to American soldiers? Can it happen to us on U.S. soil? And I have one of the co-authors of a book called Dawn of Darkness, who is a particular expert in bioterrorism history during World War II, but we're certainly going to discuss um, how germ warfare can be relevant today, and his name is Matt Isaacs, and he's an investigative journalist, and he writes with Diablo Magazine, a popular magazine in the East Bay in San Francisco. He's written with the San Francisco Examiner and um, works with the Center for Investigative Reporting. Did I get everything right, Matt? Matt, are you on the Uh, line with us?
3: Yes, I'm here. Are you there?
2: Yes, did you hear my questions?
3: Yes, I did, yeah. Oh, I'm at, just to update you a little bit, I'm also currently working uh with another investigative uh nonprofit right now called the Investigative Reporting Program through UC Berkeley.
2: Right, I think I mentioned that. Um, is, was that the Center for Investigative No, it's, this is
3: a different one, yeah. This is, oh, it's a
2: different one. Okay, yeah. well, you know, fantastic. Well, yeah. I think I, I gave the introduction to listeners of, you know, what you bring to the table, a little bit about your book. Tell us more. Tell us how first you got interested in the subject matter.
3: Well, we began the project of Dawn of Darkness uh right around the time of nine eleven actually. Um, probably just uh predating it maybe by a few months. And then immediately uh we were uh not only did 911 happen but but the anthrax attacks happened uh almost immediately after that time as well and obviously terrified uh the country almost pro- perhaps more so than than the than the 911 attacks themselves because it was so mysterious and so easy to deliver this seeming invisible poison through the through the US mail and, uh, so that, that, that lent something to our book, certainly, in terms of our thinking about what we wanted to talk about. But we had been, uh, thinking about, we, we, we had known about this, this, this little known chapter of history of World War II for, for years and just thought of a way to, to bring it all together in a true story that brought together not only, uh, what happened to our troops in the Philippines, through the you know through the Bataan Death March, but also what people didn't realize that were that many of these same troops were then shipped up to Manchuria following that horrific event, and were submitted to uh, germ uh, experiments in the in the plains of Manchuria at a, at a at a place called Mukden, just south of Harbin in in Manchuria.
2: And um okay, so what kind of- exp- you know describe the kinds of experiments that took place there?
3: okay, well, uh, <clears throat> the Japanese actually had a a, a tremendous uh, biological weapons program. It would be the equivalent of something probably about a thirty million to fifty million dollar program today uh, that ranged from everything from Doing human, live human vivisections, doing live, uh, surgeries on, uh, on patients without anesthetic, to doing things such as gangrene bombs, to frostbite experiments, to developing, uh, a wide array of, uh, biological agents, everything from, from botulism to bubonic plague to cholera to dysentery, uh... those are some of the big ones
2: and Was basically the, were what the they would... I mean aside from having prisoners and having people to torture, I mean were they doing this for commercial purposes and scientific research?
3: Well that actually became what they did, these same scientists did after the war uh... many of these same scientists who were developing these these agents during the war, these were the top scientists in Japan uh, later went on to, uh, start pharmaceutical companies and, and, uh, became some of the mainstream of, in Japanese medicine. But, uh, what, 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 uh, the, the, the main villain, uh, and the, the equivalent of Joseph Mengele, uh, of Japan was a guy named, uh, Ishishiro Shiro, who was the, was the head of this program and, and he had the idea that to spread these agents through fleas and so he developed these huge flea factories uh breeding fleas and then infecting them with bubonic plague for instance and actual attacks hap- he he actually did li- large scale attacks on the chinese in which he'd pack porcelain uh, canisters with these fleas and fly them over over China and drop them on the on the chinese villages break open the the the, the canisters would break open and release the fleas that 's
2: really, really frightening you know what i don 't think that the Chinese are were very happy about that and as you know, and I know that you 're not um you know um, by any means a government you know expert in China, but we know that these people don't, they don't let things go.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, <laughs> um, the, the, I, that is really these, yeah. so very, very frightening, and, um, you know, I, 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 I just can't imagine. So basically, through the fleas, there was a bubonic plague epidemic.
3: Yes, and, you know, today, even even today, in some Chinese villages, there's one Chinese village where over half the Half the villagers suffer from something called rotten leg syndrome, which is the effect. You know, still even today, where the these agents can linger for for decades and even generations, in which these infections can can continue.
2: Um, even in through this generation.
3: Oh yeah, no, that's it's even happening now. Yeah.
2: Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I'm so glad that the American consumer can really buy medication. And if it's Japanese manufactured, know what its history is. Yeah. You know. Wow. What do you? That's that's amazing. Now I'm I'm just going to skip staying with World War II, Um, and I mentioned to you before we went on the air that of course experiments, you know, via via the Nazis in Germany, were made popular in the you know for people who, you know, learn these things through entertainment. Um, what were some of the things that went on in the concentration camps in
3: during in in Germany during well world war II. uh yeah joseph Mengele was the counterpart in in Germany who uh who is also very involved in biological weapons the Germans actually invented uh chemical weapons during the first world war with the mustard gas experiments and actually uh the uh in 1919 when a german scientist won the the nobel prize in science for for the invention of this and he said in his nobel uh speech he called these weapons uh, a higher form of killing and uh later after world war 1 uh in 1925 the geneva conventions outlawed uh, these we both chemical and biological weapons, although of course the, the Japanese did not sign those treaties and felt, oh, can, felt, uh, justified in continuing their use. But, uh, Mengele also experimented with, with various weapons and, uh, uh, was equally, uh, yeah, performed them in the in the, in the, in the, in the, in the camps and, uh, killed thousands of people with biological agents as well.
2: Right. So, uh, uh, you know, anything else that you might know during World War II in terms of other countries and experimentation, aside from Germany, Japan.
3: Well, j- well, Japan's program ranged throughout Southeast Asia. It was a it was a massive program. They had hundreds of sites. It was a completely secret program, but it went into Burma. It went into the Philippines. It it, it spread throughout uh yeah all of that that part of the world and and as i said it 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 ranged not just from uh gangrene or whatever but they did frostbite stuff or they you know did stuff with free, putting people in freezers they did stuff with uh balloon bombs where they uh <clears throat> aside from the fleas what they also did was experiment with the idea of actually sending uh Balloons over the Pacific and actually thousands of, of these balloons landed in North America. Luckily what, what they had on were, were incendiary devices and what they hoped was that, uh, these would start fires in, in the U.S. and, and Canada and news would spread, uh, you know, there, there would be news reports of these uh, fires, and the Japanese could chart their progress, because what they were actually really planning was a biological uh, attack via these balloons. Uh, the U.S. government was aware of this, and, and as I said, there's documentation of, of these balloon landings all over uh, the U.S. and Canada, but the, U, uh, the U.S. government, to, to prevent uh, panic, uh, kept the, the the findings uh secret, and, and it didn't get out. And, and luckily it, it did, because I think there would have been panic. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we, we know about this today as well. And luckily it was just little small incendiary devices rather than bubonic plague or something like that.
2: Well, yes, thank goodness for that. But, I mean, it just makes one think that if it can be a small incendiary device, why wouldn't it be the bubonic plague?
3: They yes, did it right.
2: with leaves over somewhere else. Why wouldn't they do it? Why wouldn't they attempt to export it, export the same thing to North America?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what it speaks to uh, is that the. Uh, I think it's very easy to develop these weapons. Um, they can be done in re- relatively crude facilities. What, what What's difficult is the delivery systems, Um and I think even today it's uh there there are you know sophisticated means now of doing it but um now it now i mean but a but a balloon today i mean yeah it, it could be done, but probably more likely what it would be done how it would be done now is perhaps an explosion of a of a truck or something like that, or uh a crop duster a uh, small plane that could spread it, or uh perhaps uh we we saw in more uh, modern days, in Japan, the the sarin gas attacks uh in the late '90s, where I, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but but they uh, they brought sarin gas into the subway, the, into the Tokyo subway system, and 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 popped these bags on the subway system, and it affects thousands of people. If you if you found a mass, you know, packed uh, transit area, it could work that way. Right, right. York, Allison, we're has. going to have
2: to take a quick commercial okay, break More with Matt Isaacs When we come back Author of Dawn of Darkness And we're going to talk about how These horrific occurrences Might take place in modern times Stand by
4: Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. and successful life stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts VoiceAmerica.com.
1: welcome back to stars of pr with cindy r if you have a question or comment, call in at 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz.
2: We're back with investigative journalist Matt Isaacs, who is the co-author of the book Gone of Darkness, and we're talking about germ warfare. And we pretty much in the first in the first segment discuss the history of germ warfare. Particularly as it related to World War II, and now we are catching up on how this might, how history can indeed repeat itself in the age of terrorism. Um, so, Matt, um, is there any other thoughts that you want to add to what you shared with the listeners in the last segment from a historical standpoint?
3: Um. Well, I think uh, you know, bringing it into the modern day, I think what we have to be concerned about is is not only and, and what we touch on in, in our book Dawn of darkness is that is that this wasn't just uh, a means, a matter of uh, you know human stuff, but it, it can also be spread through crops. It can also be spread through uh, livestock. And uh, as you can imagine, so there's a wide area of places where uh, this can occur and where it can be brought into the system. It's just a matter of how.
2: Right. Well, here's a question, and I don't know, you know, if you feel 100% confident in answering this from an expert standpoint, but knowing your background and, you know, your familiarity with the subject um, how much are defense systems prepared for this? I mean, pe- government, you know, knows the history obviously, and a lot of the history is public, and some of it isn't. It's sealed, right? Yes. It takes an investigative journalist like you to try to see what you can get through sealed documents, and yes. um, so the question is: without you know, um, you know, putting any. at at risk in terms of divulging confidential information. I mean, you know, how prepared is the Western world to, you know, to deal with this or, you know, evaluate when something like this might be hitting U.S. soil? We've mentioned in the earlier segment, we talked about anthrax a little bit, but, you know, do we have the defense and detection for you know um, a revisit of what you described as the flea episode yes well i think
3: that I think that since nine eleven and the and the anthrax attacks I, I think that the u s government is in fact very aware of the risks I think that um and they've taken certain measures certainly to to defend against the the risks of a biological attack. They've created sensors in the, say, for instance, in the New York subway system where, uh, and I think these sensors are are in many, many transit systems now that, that can detect the presence of, of harmful germs. Um, they obviously have put up much more uh, vigorous uh, defense systems around our waterways. I think that there are also de- defense systems even around our our uh... agricultural and and livestock areas but of course it's a it's an invisible attack it's an it's a, and in and it's and nothing is is inv in, in invincible Um i think that a, another risk we we obviously we can see in our uh... airports how how much uh... Um, uh... such a higher level of security is in place now yet at the same time there is certainly the possibility of of uh... We, we have suicide, we know about suicide bombers, but there's certainly the possibility of, of having someone infected with a deadly disease, uh, get onto an airplane and, and spread his disease, uh, through that airplane, which could be then carried, uh, back into civilization and not become apparent for seven to ten days after that.
2: Well, what, if that happens, okay, so like, you're saying, let's say, you know, this, this, <laughs> Let's just say this um, suicide—you know, this this suicide evangelist comes onto a plane, you know, because he doesn't care, he or she doesn't care. They're good, already are giving him su- their souls up for the cause, right? Yes. So they get onto a plane, and they have the disease, but you, it wouldn't take immediately. They're just sitting there, and you wouldn't see necessarily that this person might be sick. I mean, they're just sitting next to you on the plane and they're infected, but the you know, they're not showing any um, y- you just don't know that they're sick. Yes, exactly. And you know, <clears throat> so 7 to 10 days later you hear maybe that, you know, somebody died of some kind of crazy disease and then you hear that other people who are on that flight are getting infected from this crazy disease. Yes. That's really frightening. That did that that never happened. That's never documented in history, is it?
3: Uh no, but that's certainly a, a possibility that that the US government is also concerned about. You know, another thing that this is slightly on a different subject, but what also is is known is that or where where the Center for Disease Control is also putting out warnings is that uh in terms of our our tracking of people who have Passed away. There's very, very little systemic central tracking of how people pass away from mysterious causes, and what and where the Center for Disease Control is is concerned is that with without a central system, uh, people c- can be infected now, um, and and there is no central system of being able to really uh, trace and, and track outbreaks if they're occurring. So that's just another place where, where the U.S. government needs to, to step up and actually be able to, to track this stuff.
4: Yeah,
2: one would think. It's, it's very, very scary. I mean, we did have the Christmas bomber, you know, yeah. that, in recent times. Yes. Um, and, you know, so, you know, that was trackable and it caused such an uproar in revisiting international security and updating, you know, screening technology. You know, um, when people are in airports, but you know, with with this information being known, you know, it's. I I don't think that a screen, you know, no matter what the technology is, has the capability of evaluating whether or not has some, you know, somebody's carrying some kind of exotic disease. Yes. A cocktail disease. Yes. Um, I think that there is also a lot of.
3: Talk around uh, when the when the swine flu hit uh, Mexico and spread incredibly rapidly. There was a lot of talk that that, that may have actually been an intentional spread of some kind. Um, there's you know intelligence has has spoken about that a lot here and there. Um, I think the other issue that's uh, in play in terms of using biological weapons as a as a terrorist activity is that part of part of what makes terrorism terrorism in many respects is is propaganda and uh, and because it's such a quiet insidious kind of uh, means of attack uh, it doesn't have the same kind of public impact necessarily that that a bomber or something like that does where 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 a terrorist group can can claim responsibility for it and and send its message
2: well, I mean, but let's think about it. Let's be hypothetical for a second. I mean, they could. I mean, they haven't with the swine flu. Incident. Yeah. But let's, let's co- try to reinvent history a little bit and have a hypothetical conversation about it. I mean, you know, it, it, it could have happened that a whole bunch of people got infected with the swine flu in Mexico, and we remember that happening, and how it spread to, you know, the United States and throughout the world, really, but, you know, concentrated in the beginning in Mexico. Um, you know, I mean, the Al Qaeda could have taken responsibility for it. They could have said, "You know what? We did this, and now what are you going to do?" Yeah. I mean, they chose not to, right? Because that's not their MO. I mean, they have a pretty streamlined public relations plan. Their thing is like, we're going to just, you know, bomb places when people aren't suspecting it. Yeah. Um, you know, but it it really is quite possible that a terrorist group might take responsibility for it, whether you know they're fabricating for propaganda purposes or not
3: yes that's true if we if we were to see a large scale uh illness like that or epidemic occur like that, it wouldn't be surprising to see someone claim responsibility for something like that or or for instance also uh some kind of crop or or livestock uh epidemic as well.
2: I don't, and again, there you know one of the things that I always talk about from a public relations standpoint is never underestimate the um the thinking of the people who are leading the terrorists I mean you know from a propaganda standpoint, they're very very smart, they're effective, yes, and we don't like to admit that, but you know um. People would prefer to think of people like bin Laden as a guy sitting in a cave somewhere. I mean, it's easier to take the enemy that way. But for those of us that know a little bit more about it, we know that that's not really the case. Yes. Right? So, um, you, know, I, you know, from a propaganda standpoint, why wouldn't they be thinking that way just to mess up the world a little bit more and weaken defenses? Yes. And it would be just
3: a matter of... Uh... Of Of something like uh I mean like I said, these are easily produced um, and there's been decades of experimenting with how to how to spread this stuff uh whether it's even through um, entering into other different ways that in, into the water systems of a major city uh or through the air, any kind of aerosol uh technique. Uh, it could be, I mean aerosol, uh, mechanisms now are incredibly sophisticated where you can, you know, they, they can be incredibly small yet incredibly powerful in dispersing, uh, germs. And that's invisible.
2: Oh, it is. It's invisible, and that's what's really most scary, the invisible monster. Well, we have to take another commercial break. I'm sure that you were a little concerned about what you're going to talk about in you know, long periods of time, but as you can see, this goes very, very fast. So if we could all stand by, we'll have more with Matt Isaacs, co-author of Dawn of Darkness, and please stand by for more. We'll be right back.
5: Stop wasting time. Get what you want. Live your dream life. The Dream Big Revolution. Imagine having more freedom, better health, more money, happiness. Could your business be more successful? Unless you're living the life you want, you're wasting precious time. Your life is too valuable to waste. Let Leanne Hilgers help you find health, wealth, and happiness. Listen in and live your dream life. Join the Dream Big Revolution. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, on the 7th Wave Network.
4: Never be satisfied. Let that be a lesson you take away from Double Time with Double D, featuring businessman and former NFL star Dave Duerson. VoiceAmerica.com
3: oh, my Get
1: free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788 Let's get back to stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz
2: We're back with Matt Isaacs, investigative journalist and co-author of Dawn of Darkness. Um, Matt, I want to share a story with you in terms of my own experience of um, authority response during 9-11. Everybody has a memory of where they were during Mm -hmm. 9-11, and I happen to have been at LaGuardia Airport, and... um, you know look the whole thing was pretty shocking for everybody but it was you know sort of a picture that I'll never forget is you know at you know very very early in the morning you're looking at the skyline of Manhattan and then you see this plane crashing into the world trade center you know it's sort of war mode you go into comic book mode when you when you see something like this your mind has to do tricks to interpret it you can't believe it's happening or maybe you think you had a roofie or something that was put in your drink, you just don't, you're not acknowledging that it's real. Your mind goes through this process of intelligence and interpretation. And um, when when we realized what had just happened, um, the response at LaGuardia was almost even scarier than the event that had just taken place. And this is the Port Authority of New York, so... Um, If this was any other indication of how other um, transit authorities were were trained to respond to this kind of thing, either it was a really great learning experience um, or, you know, something that really had to prompt people to change the way that they responded to this kind of terrorist attack. So what happened was is immediately after everybody saw this happen, you hear over the loudspeakers, We are in an act of war. We have been attacked. Leave the airport now. Think about that, okay? I mean, you're an investigative journalist and you work with, you know, intelligence centers that cover (laughs) investigative journalism. Um, there are crisis management people and people from the department of defense who are supposed to um alleviate some of the panic in these kinds of situations does so that blow your mind that that was what yes. was programmed to go off in the loudspeakers
3: <laughs> yes that's amazing
2: um, that that I, it blew my mind again not many people have You know, the crisis management experience that I had where, you know, I we consult with people to prepare for these kinds of situations. Port Authority of New York, leave the airport now. We are in a state of war. Do not move briskly. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, what I saw was a microcosm of panic. And, you know, there were a few of us that were able to keep our heads on straight and just help some of the... Older people who are very very confused just move out of the airport. Don't worry about your bags. Just just go. But the unpreparedness just um, really frightened me. Do you think that um, people became a little bit more prepared in at least crowd control and panic control with these kinds of situations?
3: Well, that's a good yeah. That's a good point. You know, it, right after that attack uh, in 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 the year two thousand one uh, even uh the US uh conducted an experiment i'm not sure if you're aware of uh called operation dark winter and it was a simulated attack in oklahoma city uh where they simulated attack of uh smallpox just to determine just kind of how the how what what, what the effects would be and basically what they found from this simulated attack were a number of things Num- number one that the attack would Cause a, an incredible, uh, uh, large-scale massive loss of life. Uh, two, that it would, that the government, uh, systems were not prepared for such an attack. You know, three, that, uh, the infrastructure wasn't, uh, in place to, to cope with it. And probably more than anything else, that such an attack more, the, the, the most powerful part of such an attack are people's fear of these diseases, people are terrified when they when they see pictures of small the effects of, of smallpox or cholera. Just the the visual images um, really is probably almost more powerful in terms of spreading panic than the actual disease itself. And as we saw, and as and now now as the U.S. is developing uh, vaccines against such attacks. Um, we've seen in various times in the last few years where there can be crowd panics in terms of fighting over the vaccines. There's only a limited number, probably not enough for everyone in the population. And uh, we've seen mob rule in some cases when, when it it's, it's deemed that the, the vaccines aren't available. So these are the kinds of things, this, this is the, the incredibly damaging effects of this kind of potential.
2: Well, no, it's 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 very <laughs> damaging. It's it's damaging indeed, and you know, hopefully, again in preparation for this, I'm hoping that maybe people won't have to fight because they're in a panic that they're not going to get a limited amount of supply in terms of of um, you know um, a vaccine. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just, I mean, supply and demand just doesn't really make sense here. I mean, when you're under a biological attack um, or some kind of germ warfare, I don't think people want to hear that we don't have enough. Yes. And, yes. Um, you know, I'm hoping that everybody <laughs> in all, you know, defense systems are planning to have enough, and I'm sure because you've covered this and it's, spoken about in Dawn of Darkness. I mean, you know, obviously we're hoping that the government is just as prepared for some of these horrors, and maybe your book will help them be. I don't know. I hope so. <laughs>
3: I think we can learn from history, and I, and I, not only from, from World War II, which we discussed in Dawn of Darkness, but also I think the 9-11 attacks was a wake-up call. Uh, certainly alerted the world... Uh, to this, I mean, obviously the Soviet Union had been developing smallpox and thus came this, that, that recent experience, uh, or experiment, uh, dark winter. But I do think, I do think the U.S. government is more prepared than it was. I mean, I, we do have an incredibly, uh, larger number of these vaccines than we did then. And we do have you know i mean you you, you pass a a reservoir or a, you know a, a water system now, and you you see you you know they're 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 surrounded by barbed wire and razor wire and i mean I, I think that there have been measures I think one thing i I don't like to do is is to is to spread unnecessary fear or panic about this that i I do think that're we we're certainly much more prepared than we were uh almost ten years ago. <clears throat>
2: Well, I think that's good to know. So perhaps 9/11 was a wake-up call. So um, and you know, the most excellent r- rehearsal, if you will. Yes. So sometimes terrible things have positive effects in yes, the long term. Um Let's um, jump a little bit to Iraq, Afghanistan, since that's the war in the news these days, the popular war, right? Could biological weapons be used against American soldiers? I mean, we talked about livestock and crops. I would imagine that that's probably one of the, you know, popular means of biological weapons when you're in the Arab part of the world.
3: Yes. Um, uh, well, well, Iraq was developing sarin gas. I mean, there's no doubt about that, and actually used sarin gas uh, in the 90s. Uh, we we do know that i mean i i they, they didn't find anything when when we went in um in this in this most current war, but there's no doubt that 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 was being developed in Iraq through the eighties and nineties um and so yes i mean that 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 was going on
2: All right well um you know and obviously the most popular kind of um, when we think of what's going on in Iraq and Af- Afghanistan, the most popularly portrayed images are of course the explosive devices. Um, you know, of all kinds and of all shapes and sizes is the improvised explosive devices. Um it's not exactly germ warfare, but it's warfare. Yes. And um you know uh i don't know I, I i think it's frightening there's all kinds of things there's body bombs and you know i'm sure that a body bomb isn't exa- isn't always limited to an actual bomb a body bomb as you brought up in prior segments can also be some kind of disease
3: yes certainly and i think uh and as i said it's it it can be something that can spread fear very quickly if if something if if if, un, if if officials are unable to to locate the the source of the of the epidemic that also adds to the confusion and also the the, the, the panic is 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 not knowing how far it has spread where it where it has gone um, it's very hard to clamp down and be able to contain something like this
2: well, Especially exactly, again. and particularly now, where things are different from 9-11. During 9-11, Twitter didn't exist. Yep. Um, you know, so when you think about mass panic, now anyone 24-7 can be a citizen journalist yes. and, you know, start tweeting about something. And that really is a different circumstance than how communication took place. 10 years ago.
3: That's true and that has both its it's both positives and negatives. On the one hand, we can we can get the word out more quickly at the same time there can be that much more uh tweeted panic.
2: <laughs> oh, it is. I mean, I I'm you know trying to imagine if Twitter did exist during 9/11 and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it would have been you know, a different kind of message carried on much more quickly. Um, it You know, the the message during 9-11 was a TV message. Um, everybody turned on their TV sets. There were, you know, emergency broadcasts that had taken place, and everybody woke up to the image of what happened at the World Trade Center. It was a TV event. Yes. You know, and whatever happens next is going to be you know, a 2.0 event or a Twitter event, and that's going to be interesting. We have one more segment, if you could stay with us, Matt, and we'll wrap up a couple of things. I'll reiterate some of the questions and, um, you know, get people to know about Dawn of Darkness and hear about you. So one more segment, please stand by, and we'll be right back with Matt Isaacs.
4: money. We love it, we hate it, and everything in between. You can be the master of your life and your own economics. Join Professor Laurie Lamantia each week for the program Making Peace with Money. Laurie will help you realize the power to create fulfillment in your life and shed new light on your money madness. You'll learn how to make peace with money and feel the joy and freedom renewed in your life. Making Peace with Money is broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. VoiceAmerica.com
3: PopeyeCon oh,
1: Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall including three Cleos. Call in now at one 472 5788 and you can have one Okay, maybe not But she will answer your questions Back to Stars of PR with Cindy
2: R. We're back in our final segment with Matt Isaacs, the co-author of Dawn of Darkness, also investigative journalist, um, and you're now affiliated with Berkeley, Matt. What is that affiliation?
3: I'm with the UC Berkeley Investigative Reporting Program, which is an extension of uh, the journalism school there and uh, led by uh, the legendary uh, investigative reporter Lowell Bergman who uh, exposed the tobacco industry stuff and it was the model of uh, the movie The Insider in 1999.
2: That was a really, really great movie. And, yeah. um, you know, um, and Berkeley is a great place. Um, you know, I, I've lost my daughter to being totally engaged of in, in being a Northern Californian. Um, she went to UC Santa Cruz and now she's a school teacher in San Francisco, so... Northern California has a way of just taking those people from Southern California who really become um, <laughs> embedded in the lifestyle. <laughs> yes. It's a wonderful place. Yes.
3: Um,
2: well listen, we, we really touched upon a lot in the last three segments and I'm going to review and repeat some things for those that are just tuning in, um, and talk, you know, sort of go back to Germ warfare, a little bit. What countries now stockpile germ warfare, Matt?
3: Well, we know that uh, I, we, we certainly know that, that. I mean, Iraq was the most recent one uh, that that had, you know, leaders and leaders of all kinds of uh, biological agents. Um, I, I think we believe that Iran does. We believe that China does. We know that this Soviet, the former Soviet Union. Still has uh, leaders and leaders of the stuff in in warehouses. Um, those are some of the major ones.
2: Okay, so so how about this? Does the U.S. stockpile germ warfare?
3: Oh yes. Of okay, yeah, and yeah.
2: how would our government use them? Well, I think that you know what 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 the U.S.
3: government pledged to do, even even from the from the earliest days uh, when when Fort Detrick was was created during World War II which by the way was was started one of the first uh directors of, of Fort Dietrich was uh George Merck the uh pharmaceutical maker uh but it was always for ostensibly for defensive purposes uh and we have now have Fort Dietrich we have uh Dugway Proving Grounds in Utah and uh in 1972 uh, Richard Nixon actually uh, did sign treaties that really, very, even more so, uh, outly, outlawed the use of biological weapons. So, as far as we're concerned, we probably do have both offensive and defensive biological weapons. But, but really, I think where the focus is is on the defensive side and in creating vaccines and 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 that, that sort of thing.
2: Uh, yeah, I think that's. You know, I, I think we all feel more protected knowing that <laughs> it's more yes. relevant to the U.S. people. <laughs> yes, I think so. Um, in the earlier segments, Matt, we talked about some of the horrible experimentation that the Japanese um, that the Japanese indulged in during World yes. War II, and some of the path- pathogens included dysentery, typhoid, cholera, all kinds of poisons. Um, American soldiers, Chinese POWs, right?
3: Yes, um, Russians.
2: You know what? Where are these? What happened to these Japanese scientists and and their pathogens after World War II? Well, what happened right after
3: World War II was that, uh, and that this is a big part of our book, actually, Dawn of Darkness, which I I haven't gotten to mention, which was that mm-hmm. immediately after the war, the the U.S. saw the importance of, of forging a a, a a bond with Japan as a bulwark against communism. And immediately after the war, when MacArthur went into Japan and and started uh, conducting investigations for war crimes uh, there, uh, and and, and tried many war criminals, uh, a deal was made with the Japanese scientists that in exchange for the the, their research, uh, they would be, uh, granted immunity from the war crimes. And so, uh, even including Ishii Shiro, the, 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 mastermind behind the entire program continued on his life with a, with a, with a, with a military pension and the like. And many of the, these, those scientists went on to become the mainstream of, of Japanese medicine, uh, including, and, and the leaders of, of huge, uh, pharmaceutical companies such as, uh, there is, there was a huge one called Green Cross, uh, which even in the 80s, uh, later on, what was, well, that, 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 company was founded by one of the leaders of the biological weapons programs and, and in the 80s scandals continued to exist around, uh, blood transfusions where they had been doing experiments and, 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 and created problems and so, uh And you know these uh, they- prof- they became professors at tokyo university Kyoto University, all the major universities
2: Uh, so they were granted immunity and now they can live normal lives and <laughs>
3: well, they 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 went on to live very fruitful uh wealthy lives while many of our uh former p o w s from World War two came back you know suffering from from mysterious illnesses which they never could quite figure out. What was going on?
2: Yeah, well, I guess well the immunity was granted to give us as much information as they could, right?
3: Yes, that's correct.
2: So, <laughs> I mean, you know, I w- I would hope that some kind of anecdotal information may have been.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and sadly, the information was while it was somewhat valuable, was not nearly as valuable as as what the U.S. hoped. Uh, but you know, they there there was. The U.S. had conducted itself in a much more honorable way during World War II. I mean, it's 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 grisly, but it, it, but there was no, there is no substitution for the you know where where the Japanese had really pushed the limits of what they were willing to do with human life. I mean, they they were able to see what what happened there, mm-hmm. and and the, and the U.S. did learn some things from that.
2: Well, again, we talk about the greater good. I, You know, I hope at the end of the day it's horrific as it all sounds that, you know, that the world was able to to learn something in terms of prevention. You always try to want to make a positive out of the negative. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, so um, we are running out of time. So is there anything that you want to say to wrap Mr. Isaacs? I just think that, you know,
3: what, what we hope to find through, through Dawn of Darkness is, yeah, that, that we can learn from history, that, you know, past this prologue, and that uh, we don't want to repeat the same mistakes, and, and, and just really hope that, that, that these biological weapons, that, that the U.S. government de- does become more prepared, that, that they can be dispersed, and that they can be, and that, we, that we re- this is a concern that really does need to be addressed.
2: All right, well, listen, thank you for joining us. I think everybody should get a copy of Dawn of Darkness. You can get it through Amazon.
3: Yes, you can, Amazon.com. It's a great read. It's a, it's a fun and, and it's, it's an absolute true, true story that, that tells the whole story before and after the war of how, how this whole uh, episode uh, transpired.
2: Well, thank it's, it's, you so much for your time. Everybody, everybody you have a great, me. safe weekend.
3: Okay, you too. Okay, thanks. thanks a care. lot. Bye-bye.